the Equipoise Podcast. Today's episode, What Does the Bible Say? Part 2 of 3 in our Hearing from God series. In my most recent episode, I talked about the fact that God did indeed speak, sometimes audibly, to humans in the scriptures, and that at least to some extent, this idea of hearing directly from God did not cease after the ascension of Jesus Christ, even if it did seem to shift a bit in methodology. Certain figures, such as Peter and Paul, as well as an entire vocational class of people known as prophets in the New Testament, did hear from God in some way, received special revelation from him, and then clearly and authoritatively relayed this revelation to others for the evangelization of their community and edification of the church. Today my aim is to begin to pursue a balanced answer to the question of whether this idea of hearing from God is plenary among believers. That is, uh, does every believer experience this? Should this be sought and expected by every believer? Or if this was restricted to certain people at certain times and those with the office of the prophet, whether or not this office exists today. I think the best way to launch into this is by observing the expectations of believers in the scripture with regards to whether or not they all expected to be able to hear direct revelation and guidance from God, either at certain crossroads or in one's daily life. As I mentioned last week, while it's clear that a good number of individuals in the scriptures are recorded to indeed have heard God's voice, such as Abraham communing with God as friends do with each other, or Moses hearing God's voice on Mount Sinai, this is not portrayed as something plenary and normative. In fact, we see quite the opposite. I think of David in 1 Samuel 23, or Saul in 1 Samuel 28, or Josiah in 2 Kings 22, who, when they wanted to hear from God, did not sequester themselves and wait 10 to 12 minutes to hear an internal voice of guidance, as the internet would recommend for them, nor did they take a trip to a mountain and play Hillsong while clearing their minds and listening for God's voice. No, they appealed to outside sources, such as prophets and the Urim and Tumim, which were two objects crafted to discern the mind of God on any given issue. Again, it might seem obvious, but I'll still state that there'd be no point to the prophets or the Urim and Tumim if God simply directly spoke to every believer, audibly or otherwise. No, for Saul, David, and Josiah, or any of the kings for that matter, there was no appeal to a still small voice, a whisper, a gut feeling, a step-by-step formula, or anything like that. They instead sought after the prophets and other divinely prescribed tools to reliably act as channels of God's communication with them. You'll also remember that in last week's introduction to this miniseries, I mentioned how our music, old and new, presumes the idea of God speaking to us in some way. This idea seems to be alien to the oldest hymns and songs we have, the book of Psalms. David or any other psalmist never once asked God to speak to him. Not once do we hear the psalmist cry out, speak to me, or let me hear your voice, or tell me what to do about this, or anything of the sort. Actually, it was quite the contrary. He begged God to hear him. And after imploring God to hear him and deliver him, he said over and over again things like, but I will trust in your word, or your Torah will direct my path. In short, David didn't crave or expect revelation or word from God, because to David, what God had already said in the law and by the prophets was settled and was good enough for David, who didn't implore God for more. Instead, we see him trust in what God had already revealed about himself and how God had already come through for him. One might say, well, that's all fine and good, but all of those references were found in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's different. And I get that. 
it may very well be different. So let's talk about the New Testament then. I think Andrew Wilson, an excellent charismatic and continuationist pastor, states this case well. He says, quote, From the point of view of Acts, hearing from God about things, even when major decisions or people's lives are in the balance, is quite ordinary. The gift of the Spirit completely changes the decision-making process in the early church. At the start of Acts, everyone is drawing lots to make decisions. But after Pentecost, nobody is. Rolling God's dice has been replaced by hearing God's voice, end quote. We'll hear from Pastor Wilson again later, but it's here that he's given us something to consider. Is there something to this? After all, isn't the Spirit of God supposed to talk to Christians in some way? Isn't that what we've been taught? Is this in the Bible? Well, as always, I think the answer lies in the balance. There are two verses, both in John, in which Jesus is quoted as saying that the Holy Spirit would teach and declare things, at least to Jesus' twelve disciples. I don't know that this is supposed to be prescriptive for the whole church, but it's still there in the text. Outside of this, there's not too much else about God or the Holy Spirit speaking words in the New Testament. We do see in Acts 13, too, where Scripture reads that the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul to the ministry, so I think there's something to consider here, definitely. But with respect to Wilson, while there are events in which the Spirit of God spoke to Christians in the New Testament, I think that stating that hearing the voice of God is normative and plenary for all Christians, even in the supernaturally charged early church described in Acts, goes beyond what we can definitively draw from the Scriptures and is therefore an argument from silence. I think also that we need to be cautious in taking our cues from the book of Acts as normative, regulative practices. After all, God literally teleported Philip after he evangelized the Ethiopian eunuch. So if we're saying that the work of the Spirit in the book of Acts is prescriptive and normative for all believers, that's fine, but I still wouldn't recommend all Christians sell their cars or trucks in hopes of being teleported everywhere. Consider the following. Even in the book of Acts, the Jerusalem Council didn't mystically wait for God to directly lead or speak on the issues they addressed. Instead, we read how they came together, listened to Peter's testimony, talked about it, waited out against the scriptures, looked at what God was doing, and moved forward with God's plan, saying it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. No listening for a still small voice or waiting for an answer in prayer or anything of the sort, just internally spirit-led church leadership doing what it was supposed to do. In the end, I think a careful, biblically balanced conclusion on the plenariness of God speaking to all believers is as follows. That there were people in the Old Testament and even in the early church who heard from God directly is a clear and irrefutable yes. However, that every Christian or even most Christians heard directly from God is just as clearly a no. So I don't know that we can say it's a biblically based expectation for all believers to directly hear from God. Now, I think it's very important here that I remind my hearers that I'm not critiquing the concept of being led or guided or directed by the Spirit. I'm critiquing statements such as, God spoke to me and told me this. If we're really going only by what we've seen in the scriptures, I think there needs to be a very careful balance in place with regards to if and how and when God speaks to people in scripture and today. In the end, I presently approach this topic with a good degree of skepticism, and given what I've seen that I'll discuss more next week, I think for good reason. It seems to me that this idea of hearing from God usually tends to be a self-confirming emotional aggrandizement at best and duplicitous fabrication at worst, akin to the burning in the bosom cited in Mormon theology. But in the interest of balance, I told you we'd hear from Pastor Wilson again, who, as a charismatic pastor, is naturally quite a bit less skeptical than I am about the idea of hearing from God for all believers today, though he sympathizes with people in my position. So I think it best in the interest of balance for you to hear it from him. He says, quote, there's a fair bit of nonsense out there about how we hear from God. Some of it is super spiritual claptrap that devalues the scriptures, as when people say things like, yes, that was a very nice talk, but I don't want information, I want revelation. 
Some of it is plain arrogance. God has told me this Bible passage, which the world's great minds have been studying and discussing for 20 centuries, actually means this. Some of it is Gnostic bunk. Yes, I used to think like that, but then God took me into his confidence about so-and-so. Some of it doesn't make any sense at all, like the preacher I heard who referred to the inner audible voice of God. Speaking as a pastor in a charismatic church, I understand the impulse to avoid such rubbish by avoiding hearing from God language altogether." End quote. So it's clear that Andrew has witnessed much of what I just called self-confirming emotional aggrandizement a minute ago, but he doesn't throw it all out, as I am admittedly tempted to do. He continues, If we are still in the last days, he says, and if our lives and our churches today are supposed to look like the book of Acts, with people prophesying, seeing visions, and so on, then what checks and balances are in place to stop it from going wrong? What can we do to ensure we're hearing from God and not making stuff up? End quote. Now, I'll post the whole article in my show notes for sake of time, but I'll give you the cliff notes here. He says to, quote, start with Jesus. He agrees with the author of Hebrews that however God spoke to people before, it all culminated in Christ himself. He then gives five points of advice, which I'll relate to you here as we wind this episode down. Number one, check what you're hearing against what is revealed in Scripture. Number two, check it against what you know of Jesus. Number three, talk to leaders about it. Number four, run it by the local church as a whole. Number five, consider the effect or fruit of what we think God is saying. Now, I think if these five steps were followed and the church actually submitted itself to what the Bible truly teaches and held that up as the standard by which these personal revelations must be judged, we'd be seeing a lot fewer of the spiritual trump cards that we're seeing today. What are those, you might ask? I'll tell you all about it next week as we close down this mini-series, but until then, stay balanced. <laughs>